My name is Zach Arnold. I'm a Hollywood film and television editor, a documentary director, father of two, an American Ninja Warrior in training, and the creator of Optimize Yourself. For over 10 years now, I have obsessively searched for every possible way to optimize my own creative and athletic performance, and now I'm here to shorten your learning curve. Whether you're a creative professional who edits, writes, or directs, you're an entrepreneur, or even if you're a weekend warrior, I strongly believe you can be successful without sacrificing your health or your sanity in the process. You ready? Let's design the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Optimize Yourself podcast. Whether you're brand new to the show or you're a seasoned vet, it would mean the world to me if you took just one minute to share this episode with a friend or a colleague who could benefit from what you learned today. And don't forget to also click the subscribe button in your podcast app of choice, because the more subscribers we have, the more that iTunes and the other platforms recognize this show, and thus the more people that you and I can inspire to step outside their comfort zones to reach their greatest potential. And now on to today's show which is a special episode where I provide my articles in audio form so you have the opportunity to walk and listen instead of sit and read if that is your preference. My hope is that you will use this opportunity to get up and step away from your chair for the next 30 minutes and build the habit of moving more whether you're working, stuck at home, or otherwise. The following is a reading of my article, The Passion Tax, Why Artists and Creatives Are Exploited and How We Can Start Saying No which can be read at optimizeyourself.me slash passiontax. And a special thank you to the sponsors of this episode, Evercast and ErgoDriven, both of whom you are going to learn more about in a little bit. No. It's quite possibly the most powerful word in any language, but using it can be equally as terrifying. Saying no means possibly offending people or downright pissing them off. Saying no means turning down opportunities, sometimes even good ones. Saying no means standing alone with our principles instead of fading into the crowd, towing the line, sucking it up, or doing what we are told. And saying no means setting boundaries in a 21st century work-ourselves-to-death culture, where those boundaries could be the difference between our own success versus the success of the people who instead always say yes, often to their own detriment. However, saying no is also the only surefire path to maintaining any semblance of creative fulfillment, well-being, work-life balance, or sanity in the entertainment industry. As I stated in my article, Dear Hollywood, we don't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't working. If we don't start having very difficult conversations about what needs to change in our industry, it is only going to get exponentially worse. And little did I know how quickly this would become the truth. Over the last few weeks, productions have slowly begun to open in various locations around the world, which has led the few who are fortunate enough to have jobs to undercut their own value for the sake of simply being employed. Whether it's little or no compensation for equipment rentals and working from home expenses like internet, electricity, etc., or turnaround times and deadlines that are exponentially worse than before, or blurring the lines between work time and home time by giving away their nights and weekends for free because we are just lucky to have jobs right now, many of those who are setting the new status quo are unknowingly devaluing all of us in the process. We all need to be abundantly clear on the following point. 
what we deem acceptable today, despite our extenuating circumstances, will become our new reality for years or even decades to come. This is a reality that I'm not willing to accept. If we don't put a stop to this practice soon, if we don't shift the cultural perception that having any work is worth the sacrifice right now, regardless of the cost, if we don't collectively start saying no to the rapid de-evolution of our well-being, all for the sake of creating content, the next phase of our post-pandemic reality will rapidly become a race to the bottom. Here's why it is so easy to take advantage of us. Hollywood is the land of dreams. It is where the magic is made. It's where the most compelling, engaging, and entertaining stories of our time are crafted. Who wouldn't want to be a part of the magic? Few of us when we were young spent every ounce of our free time with calculators pretending to be accountants, but countless numbers of us have defining memories of running around with video cameras shooting home movies because making movies and telling stories is in our DNA. I'll bet that like me, at some point in your career, you thought to yourself, I cannot believe they are paying me to do this. After all, we're just lucky to be here, right? Unfortunately, the passion that we have for our craft, while it might provide us with a certain level of fulfillment in the earlier stages of our career, is ultimately also our undoing. Furthermore, the price we pay for devaluing our skills, our knowledge, and our time, it even has a name, the passion tax. According to new research from Duke University, our suspicions as creative professionals have been verified. We are taken advantage of because of the passion that we have for our work. Professor Aaron Kay found that people see it as more acceptable to make passionate employees do extra, unpaid, and more demeaning work than they would for employees without the same passion. For example, in one study, participants who read that an artist was strongly passionate about their job said that it was more legitimate for the boss to exploit that artist than those who read the artist wasn't as passionate. In another study, participants rated it more legitimate to exploit workers and jobs that are more traditionally associated with passion, such as an artist or a social worker, than in jobs that are not generally seen as a labor of love, such as a store clerk or a bill collector. Beyond our willingness to pay the passion tax in exchange for the opportunity to work on projects that fulfill us, we allow ourselves to be taken advantage of because we are literally addicted to pursuing success. In the recent Atlantic article, Success Addicts Choose Being Special Over Being Happy, the author Arthur Brooke argues that the pursuit of meaningful achievement distracts from the deeply ordinary activities and relationships that make life meaningful. For many creative professionals, myself included, success has addictive properties. Praise literally stimulates the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is implicated in practically all addictive behaviors. As an editor, I enjoy my job largely because of the collection of many small individual moments throughout the day where ideas come together. Every single edit that works, every single music cue that magically aligns with picture, every happy accident that makes me feel a certain emotion at its core is just another dopamine hit. As creative professionals, we are essentially chasing our next high, and we are willing to achieve that high no matter the cost. As long as you keep providing compelling content, we will do whatever it takes to feel the rush of the next great moment that we have the opportunity to help you create. But as Arthur Brooke points out, success is Sisyphean. The goal can't be satisfied. Most people never feel successful enough. The high only lasts a day or two, and then it's on to the next goal and the next high. 
Psychologists call this the hedonic treadmill in which satisfaction wears off almost immediately and we must run on to the next reward. And this hedonic treadmill is why we work nights and weekends without bothering to ask for OT. It's why we plop our kids in front of the television to address last minute notes that need to be finished ASAP. It's why we structure our lifestyles such that we literally can't pay our basic monthly expenses without depending on our golden time. It's why we plan our vacations around our jobs versus planning our jobs around our much needed vacation time. It's why we habitually answer emails, text messages, and Slack notifications during dinner, family events, and even on weekends. It's why we make excuses for missing once-in-a-lifetime events like birthdays, recitals, graduations, and even funerals. And this is ultimately why we perpetuate the devaluation of our craft every time we say yes to unreasonable demands or working below our standard rates. I get it. Setting boundaries is a bitch, especially when yes is your default answer to everything. However, you might even be wired to say yes. Beyond our willingness to keep paying the passion tax in pursuit of success, many of us are literally wired to say yes to others and no to ourselves. One of the most transformational moments of my life happened over the course of a 90-minute keynote speech that was given by New York Times bestselling author Gretchen Rubin, where she introduced us to the concept, the four tendencies. By the end of her speech, I was able to make sense of decades of poor decisions, broken relationships, multiple recurrences of depression and burnout, and practically in the snap of a finger, I understood the source of all the conflict in my marriage. Unlike many personality profiles that put people into buckets or categories, Gretchen's four tendencies are aptly not named as types, but instead tendencies because they are only applicable and defined under the following circumstance, how you respond to expectations. And there are two types of expectations, external and internal. External expectations are those that come from others. Project deadlines, requests from your boss or your spouse or your kids, appointments, outside commitments, etc. Internal expectations are the ones that you hold but rarely keep yourself to. Your ideal weight, exercise habits, dietary choices, sleep patterns, quality of life for you and your family, the time that you should be protecting that you're not, the jobs that you should take, the life that you hope to lead, etc. Now, there are four basic tendencies that are based on our own unique combination of how we meet both internal and expectations. And in this article, I actually provide a visual Venn diagram from Gretchen herself if you want to take a look at it. But the four tendencies are as follows. Number one is the obliger. You readily meet outer expectations, meaning that you bend over backwards to meet the demands of others, often to the point of obliger burnout, where you simply cannot meet another request or demand without losing your mind. Also, you struggle to meet inner expectations, specifically self-care. You struggle to maintain healthy habits, and the only way that you can maintain consistency with any routine is when someone else expects you to be somewhere. The second tendency is the questioner. You readily meet outer expectations, but only if the logic makes sense to you. You constantly question, is this really the best way to do this? Often to the frustration of your team members, especially your boss. And when the logic doesn't make sense, you struggle to follow guidelines or meet deadlines. Now, conversely, you also readily meet inner expectations, but again, only if the logic makes sense. As a questioner, you also readily meet inner expectations, but only if the logic makes sense. As a questioner, you often fall prey to analysis paralysis, 
wondering if you've made the best choice possible, and you can deliberate to the point of procrastination and never taking action. The third tendency is the upholder. You readily meet both outer and inner expectations, often to a fault. You are seen as rigid or anal because you can't roll with the punches when schedules change. You follow all guidelines and regulations, even when they make no logical sense. But conversely, you can also stick to a diet and exercise routine and show up to all appointments and commitments with ease. And all of us non-upholders hate you for it. The final tendency is the rebel. You struggle to meet both outer and inner expectations. You are less likely to complete a task or meet a deadline if someone expects it of you. You instead value your freedom to make your own choices on your own time. Conversely, you find it equally difficult to meet your own internal expectations for the exact same reasons, causing constant inner conflict when you want to stick with habits. So how do the four tendencies relate to setting boundaries and saying no to unrealistic expectations? Well, guess which tendency is by far the most prevalent? Yep, obligers, who compromise roughly 41% of the population, according to Gretchen's anecdotal research and outreach. Now, if after reading the above tendencies, you find yourself specifically relating to either the obliger, the questioner, or the rebel, you struggle to meet internal expectations, which means that setting boundaries to protect your time, your energy, and your well-being is often a losing battle that's plagued by uncertainty, anxiety, and often outright terror. But recognizing and understanding your tendency, along with being aware of the passion tax that you have been paying for years or even decades to work in Hollywood at the expense of your well-being, is the precursor to learning how to set boundaries and advocate for yourself as well as others. My sincerest apologies for the interruption in the middle of this article reading. But if you are a content creator or you work in the entertainment industry, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life because collaborating with Evercast is that powerful. Here's a brief excerpt from a recent interview that I did with Evercast co-founders, Brad Thomas and award-winning editor, Roger Barton. Living this lifestyle of a feature film editor has really had an impact on me. So I was really looking for something to push back against all of these lifestyle infringements that are imposed on us, both by schedules and expectations. When you guys demoed Evercast for me that first time, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I have been waiting for for a decade. I also had the same reaction when I first saw Evercast. Two words came to mind, game changer. Our goal, honestly, is to become the Zoom for creatives. Whatever it is you're streaming, whether it's editorial, visual effects, pro tools for music composition, live shot cameras, it's consistent audio and video, lip sync always stays in sync. Whether you're in a live session where you're getting that feedback immediately, or you can't get it immediately, so you record the session and you can share those clips with people on the production team where there's no room for any confusion. It's like, this is exactly what the director wants. This is exactly what the producer wants. What matters most to me is it makes the entire process more efficient, which then translates to us as creatives who spend way too much time in front of computers. We get to shut it down and we get to go spend time with our friends and family. The biggest complaint, and I'm sure you guys have heard this many, many times, this looks amazing, I just can't afford it. Tesla had to release the Model S before they released the Model 3. So by the end of the year, 
we are going to be releasing a sub $200 version a month of Evercast for the freelancer and indie creatives. Anyone who is a professional video creator outside of Hollywood. I think what we've learned over the last few months is that this technology can translate to better lives for all of us that give us more flexibility and control while still maintaining the creativity, the creative momentum, and the quality of work. I cannot stress this enough. Evercast is changing the way that we collaborate. If you value your craft, your well-being, and spending quality time with the ones you love, Evercast now makes that possible for you and me. To listen to the full interview and learn about the amazing potential that Evercast has to change the way that you work and live, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Evercast. Now back to today's article reading. Here are three simple but not easy steps to set boundaries, advocate for your needs, and say no when you know that it is the right answer. I am an action-oriented kind of guy. I am always doing my best to figure things out and find the how-to solution to every problem. Guess which tendency I am? Yeah, I'm definitely a questioner on steroids. Now, it might seem obvious that the best way to advocate for your value, your time, and your well-being is just to become a stronger person or a louder person or that you need to learn expert negotiation tactics or frankly, just be more of an asshole. On a side note, please don't do this. But ultimately, you can't advocate for yourself and negotiate your worth until you actually know what you value the most in your life and you have a clear picture of your goals. In my coaching and mentorship program, I have worked with over 100 creative professionals across the world at all stages of their careers to help them set boundaries around their time, their energy, and their creativity so they can pursue more meaningful career paths without sacrificing their sanity in the process. I provide this service because I believe the only way that our culture is going to change is by empowering one person at a time to advocate for themselves. If you are waiting for some new union regulations or rules to magically protect you from ridiculous deadlines and unrealistic expectations, I've got some bad news for you. Many of those rules and regulations already exist. The reason that they aren't enforced and are regularly exploited is because the vast majority of us don't possess the confidence or the communication skills to say no when we need to the most. If saying no is the key to becoming healthier, more productive, and more successful, in other words, you saying no to the unpaid overtime, you know, because there just isn't a budget for it, or saying no to the chronically late nights and long weekends, even if you're paid, saying no to another night of free pizza at the expense of you staying at your desk for the evening, saying no to the endless requests and busy work, when what you really need to be working on is deep creative work, or saying no to missing a necessary doctor's appointment because your call time was pushed, if having the confidence to say no to all of the above and more is a version of yourself that you would like to make a reality, here's where I suggest that you begin. Number one, you have to start asking better questions. The quality of your life is largely dictated by the quality of the questions you ask yourself. For example, if you find yourself constantly burned out and feeling like your time, your expertise, and your good nature are being exploited, these might be familiar questions ruminating in your mind. (sighs) What will it take just to survive until the end of the day today? Why do I dread my job so much? Is working on this project even worth it? Is this really what I want to be doing with my life? And the most likely question of all, what am I willing to put up with in exchange for this paycheck? While it isn't easy, the strategy to help you summon the courage to say no to unreasonable expectations and the wrong opportunities is simple. Flip the script 
and start asking yourself better questions. Instead of asking, how much extra money will I make this week with all of this overtime? Ask yourself, what is the cost of working these hours? Sure, you might get a fat paycheck for a 90-hour week, but there is a huge cost you have to pay to receive that money, which includes poor health, strained relationships, and time you'll never get back with your family. Instead of asking, how much will I gain? Ask yourself, how much will I lose? As I discussed with producer Janice Taschen in a previous episode, if you are a department leader, instead of asking, what can we do to not fail? Ask, what do I need to do to make sure everyone on my team has what they need to succeed? If you're interested in investing in new skills, building a new business to free yourself from your golden handcuffs, or making a major transition in your career, instead of asking, how much will it cost me to learn and grow? Ask yourself, how much will it cost me to stay in the same place? Reframing my perspective and asking one simple question of myself five years ago has dictated the complete transformation of my life and career. Five years ago, after I was chronically putting my kids to bed via FaceTime while editing season one of Empire, I asked myself the following question. What about my life has to change such that I can put my kids to bed in person almost every night? That began a domino effect that led to multiple fundamental changes in the way I structured my time, my life, and how I pursued projects, and also which jobs I turned down. So what is the first question that you need to ask yourself but have been afraid to? And does the answer to that question clarify what in your life needs to transform from a yes to a no? Number two, you have to clearly define your creative needs as well as your lifestyle needs. It is going to be really difficult to set boundaries and advocate for yourself if you have no idea what you need to protect. If survival is your only priority and getting the next paycheck is your only goal, it's pretty easy to chronically say yes to unreasonable requests despite the consequences to your well-being. To be clear, for some people, the paycheck is literally about survival. I pass no judgment to people who put themselves through hell and make sacrifices to support themselves and or their family. But for most, the paycheck has become an excuse to continue suffering while also avoiding the fear and the uncertainty that comes with pursuing a more fulfilling path. As I stated in a previous article called The Four Types of Creative Jobs and The Secret to Knowing Which is the Perfect Fit for You, success rarely has a defined path. What if simply understanding where your current job fits into your own unique career path completely changed the way you approached your duties day to day and you suddenly had 100% confidence that this was the exact path leading to your dream job. Not until you have a clear understanding of whether or not your current job fulfills both your creative needs and your lifestyle needs will you be able to set boundaries and protect everything that diverts your attention away from moving your career forwards on your terms. Your creative needs are the stories that you wanna tell. Just ask yourself, what do I watch already? And would I be happy being on the team that makes those shows, those films, and those projects that I already watch? When I first watched season one of Cobra Kai, I instantly knew the show was made for me. Thematically, it was so aligned with the stories that I wanted to tell. It was the perfect fit for my hard skills as an editor. And most importantly, The Karate Kid was the transformational film of my youth. Pursuing that project was a no-brainer. But for others, this show might not be the right fit at all to meet their creative needs. For example, another show that I'm obsessed with is The Office. I mean, frankly, who isn't? But if it were still on TV, I'd honestly have no interest in cutting it because it doesn't align with the kind of work that I want to do. 
It is a brilliant show, but it's not my editorial style. Therefore, while sure it would be a cool opportunity, for me, I wouldn't find it fulfilling. So as crazy as it sounds, working on The Office would be a no for me, unless my lifestyle needs were met in spades such that it became a lifestyle job. So what genres, themes, and styles fulfill you? Only after you identify them will you better understand the sacrifices you are willing to make to pursue your dream projects. And more importantly, only then can you identify what opportunities require either a yes or, more likely, a no. Now, your lifestyle needs, on the other hand, are the non-negotiables when it comes to how you live your life while you're on the job. My biggest fear when I discovered Cobra Kai was that it was going to be a cool show, but it would be a horrible experience from a lifestyle perspective. At this point in my career, as I've already talked about, I am unwilling to live at the office such that I never see my family. If I can't put my kids to bed in person more often than not, I immediately pass. So when I went to my interview with the creators of Cobra Kai, I interviewed them. I asked numerous questions to better understand their workflow and their expectations, such that if they wanted me around 16 hours a day or on weekends, no matter how creatively fulfilling the experience would be, my well-being would be destroyed. Now, luckily, the show has been pretty much a lifestyle dream, outside of, unfortunately, a crappy commute, So therefore, it was an easy yes. Had the show not met my lifestyle needs, however, as scary as it may have felt at the time, Cobra Kai would have been a hard pass. Number three, you have to embrace the fear of the unknown and be willing to delay gratification. I understand how terrifying the idea of saying no to a paycheck is, especially during a pandemic. But unless you financially have no other choice, the cost of saying yes to an opportunity that will take advantage of you or that doesn't align with your needs is ultimately much higher than the value you receive in return. And this generates significant amounts of fear. Whenever you are confronted with any opportunity, whether it's something as significant as a new gig or a raise to stay at the same company, or conversely, something as insignificant as a simple request from a superior or being asked to work extra hours, I want you to pay attention to your immediate emotional reaction and ask this question. Is what I'm feeling at this moment anxiety or is it nerves? If the request creates a giant rock in your stomach, causes you to sweat, or you're losing sleep over reluctantly saying yes, more than likely you are experiencing anxiety and you need to say no and run for the hills. What you are being asked is not good for your well-being, even if on the surface it provides immediate gratification or money in the bank. On the other hand, if you experience intense nerves, you need to lean into this as much as possible. Nerves come about from the fear of the unknown, but that nervousness is telling you something scary is coming, and if you confront it, it could possibly be good for you, or it might even change your entire life. This idea right here epitomizes every single ninja training session that I've done for the last two and a half plus years since I decided to go from dad bod to American Ninja Warrior. When I step up to an obstacle, there's always fear and there are always nerves, but I know that at the other end of that obstacle is always growth. So there's a famous study. It's called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. It's from 1972, whereby researchers studied the effects of delayed gratification by asking a child whether they would be interested in having one marshmallow now or if they would be willing to wait 15 minutes and have two marshmallows later. After following up with those same children decades later, the conclusion was clear. Those who are willing to delay gratification become more successful. And I'm going to repeat this because this is so important to understand. 
those who are willing to delay gratification become more successful. And in this specific study, this was exhibited by SAT scores, educational attainment, body mass index, and other multiple life measures. Now, as tempting as it might be to ignore the fear that comes from saying no to any immediate opportunity that comes your way, even if it pays less than usual, or you feel you might be taken advantage of, long-term, your chances of success are higher if you practice delayed gratification and wait for a better opportunity. As editor James Wilcox stated about his career path to the top in a previous episode, don't always expect your payoff to come from the place that you're investing it. Sometimes things pay off down the line. You got to keep grinding. You got to keep believing and you got to keep preparing no matter what, because it's going to happen. Saying yes, no matter what, has serious consequences for all of us in a post-pandemic world. If we continue down the path where we devalue each other for the sake of any paycheck possible, if we continue to preach the gospel that we are just lucky to be working right now, the ripple effect to our lifestyles and bank accounts will be catastrophic for decades to come. We are already trending towards working more hours for less money with zero boundaries between working from home and being home. And things are only going to get exponentially worse as more projects become available and the feeding frenzy for jobs continues. This is not a fight against the big bad studios. This is not a fight for or against the unions. And this is not a fight against the mega corporations and big business. This is a fight against ourselves. We can either collectively choose to make this a climb to the top or a race to the bottom. Now, I know which direction I'm choosing. Do you? If you are tired of the work ourselves to death culture in the entertainment industry, number one, I want you to visit the petition to support more humane working hours, which is available at optimizeyourself.me slash petition. Secondly, if you would like to learn more about how to set your own boundaries and forge a new path in your career, my optimizer coaching and mentorship program might be a great fit. If you would like to get on the wait list for fall enrollment, go to optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer. I hope you enjoyed the reading of my article, The Passion Tax, Why Artists and Creatives Are Exploited and How We Can Start Saying No, which you can find and read at optimizeyourself.me slash passion tax. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, healthy, and sane, and be well. This episode was made possible for you by, you guessed it, ErgoDriven, the creators of the Topomat, my number one recommended product if you are interested in moving more and not having sore feet at your height adjustable or standing workstation. Almost every new person that I meet in this industry starts our conversation with, hey, I got a Topomat because of you. It's changed my life. Thank you. Listen, standing desks are only great if you're actually standing well. Otherwise, you are just fighting fatigue and chronic pain. Not like any other anti-fatigue mat, the Topo is scientifically proven to help you move more throughout your day, which helps reduce discomfort and also increases your focus and your productivity. I'm literally standing on one as I read this, and I don't go to a single job without it. And if you're smaller and concerned the Topo mat might be too big, or you simply don't have the floor space, well, there's a Topo Mini for that. To learn more, visit optimizeyourself.me topo. That's T-O-P-O.